church is to help people become debt-free. And a number of people have gone to them in dire straits in their area, um, people who have started to attend their church and, and well, or have been longtime members, uh, all kinds of them. But, uh, but just they've come and they've, they were, they've been in dire straits, things like credit card debt, a lot of it, credit cards maxed out, uh, back IRS taxes, car payments, um, rent payments or mortgage payments, um, some gambling debts, and uh, on top of all that, you know, some of the normal things, uh, normal bills of gas and electricity and putting food on the table, stuff like that. There are actually several, there are several people in the church who have actually, who, who have committed to basically buying these people's debt and basically setting up kind of a loan interest, uh, a low interest loan situation. I'm not, I'm not quite really sure how, how they do it. I'm, I'm sure that there's some legal aspects to it and so there there would be some sort of a contract um, that's binding I, again I'm not sure of all the details of that but I do know that part of the commitment uh, of these individuals or these couples is that they agree to be held accountable in their spending patterns and so forth they're taught how to how to manage their finances but the other thing that they they have to agree to if yeah, you know they come to the church and they or they come to specific individuals. I think the pastor there and and he has a team who's who's set up for this. Um, one of the things that they have to agree to if if the church is going to help them with this is that they have to make a commitment to tithe their income. Ten percent comes directly straight out the top of whatever they earn and is given to the Lord. Now, it, it's voluntary. I mean, it's not like they have somebody standing there and saying, "Give it." It is voluntary. I, I imagine that that's something that they have set up with. They, they've got a, they're set up with an accountability partner uh, who helps them with this. But I'm sure, you know, it's, at first it's like, you know, I'm struggling to keep my family. You know, how can I commit what I don't have to God? But they are, they are actually, they're, they're challenged. They're challenged to trust God and to give it a shot, to make the decision to make God the first priority in their lives. Now, really, when you think about this and, and the topic we're going to be talking about today, it's really a lot more, it's much more than about finances. It's, it's about faith. It's about stepping out and trusting God with all that they have, their lives, their future, their relationships, and, and also their finances. And what I'm told is that after a period of time with these individuals, uh, they they have a variety of testimonies to the goodness of God. I mean, I, I just, I think this is incredible. But, you know, things like, you know, they, they stand up and say, you know what, I've, I've committed this, I've made God first in my life, and there's these job opportunities, and there's stability in my life, there's, there's better relationships. These are just some of the, uh, an idea of some of the things that they come forward with. A sense of joy in contrast with a constant pressure of debt. Um, sometimes it's, you hear about stories of, well, God helped, you know, you know, helped with this and now I've got an increase in my salary, uh, from most of the time there's a change in priorities. And yet all of these stories, when they come and he, I, my friend just says, it's incredible to hear, have them come and say, and, and to make, to have this testimony that says, I committed to God and, and, and he's done this. Uh, it's not a get rich kind of thing. That is not it. God provides, God protects, God loves, God shows us 
his blessing in our lives, and that's the testimony. Now, I contrast that with this. I remember my first job, my first official paycheck that I got when I was 16. I had some other little odd jobs and things like that before that, but Piggly Wiggly Grocery Store. <laughs> I was so excited when I first got my paycheck. I, got, I came home, I showed my dad my check. I think it was all of about... I don't know, $63 or something like that. I got $3.15 an hour. Yeah. And uh, I, was, I showed my dad. I had more money in my pocket, or in my hand, actually. I had more money in my hand than I had ever had before. And all I could think about was, wow, there's a lot of things I want to do with this. I mean, I got a steady paycheck coming in, right? My dad had always taught me when I was growing up, since I was a little boy, I can remember the, the piggy bank and the allowance that came, a buck allowance, 25 cents went to, to Jesus, 25 cents went into the bank, 50 cents went to anything I wanted. But he always taught us that God should always come first. And now it was decision time. Where do I put God? Is he first? Is he second? Is he fifth? Is he 23rd in my life? Where's God? And it's not, on all, and not at all unlike the text that we're going to read this morning. And it's a little bit uh, here, in a little bit, we're going to be looking at this from, from both Deuteronomy chapter 26 and then Leviticus chapter 27, where we are introduced to a phrase in Scripture called first fruit, which is really uh, the title of my sermon, The Law of First Fruits. But it's this idea, that it's that idea that we want to focus on today. Um, but just a, really a quick rehearsal of the story, because this particular text, or these particular texts, they occur in a context like every other biblical story occurs. We start out in creation, the God of the universe calling all of this stuff into existence so that you and I have a good world in which we live. Six times after creation events, he says, it is good. We look around and we see that God has given us a magnificent place, and yet we aren't but three, four chapters in, and we've made a mess out of it. We've blown it. We've, and, and we live with the fall of this particular group of people that we call humanity. We, we make a mess out of everything. God immediately initiates the redemption story. We, we see that begin to unfold as early as Genesis chapter 3 and carried on through the rest of the opening part of the story. Uh, we, we come to where we've been the last couple of weeks, the story of Exodus, of the Exodus. Israel is in Egypt, waiting to be redeemed, and God calling them out of Egypt, crossing the Red Sea, and demonstrating by His mighty arm His great power. We're going to hurry through the desert, but they don't hurry. Forty years it takes them to wander around in the desert before they finally come to the place that they're able to cross over into the promised land. We looked a lot at that last week. And all during that time, 40 years of meandering in that desert, God is making it possible for them to live. Water from the rock, manna, from, uh, manna on the ground to eat, clothes that don't wear out. Can you imagine I mean, I, I'm, I'm going with my kids. I mean, it just, it, I, I go for knees that don't, that don't rip out. Um, you've got my promise that your clothes are going to not wear out. Can you imagine that? 
Of course, some fashions get out of style and everything. Well, we digress. Okay. <laughs> anyway, um, but that's what God does. There's abundance in the desert for 40 years. God takes care of them. God provides. Now, I've really tried to ponder that. I've tried to think about that. I, I don't quite know how to get my head wrapped around this whole idea. I, I'm thinking, I mean, you know, you, you, I've, I've seen Israel... The pictures that I've seen of Israel, just they don't look all that productive. you got a million people wandering around in the desert for 40 years, and they never run out of food, water, firewood, clothing. Something seems to be happening here where God's great abundant care is being seen but not talked about much in Scripture. But in light of that story, in light of what God is doing, the essence of what I believe God was trying to communicate with Israel, what Israel struggled with for so long, in light of that redemptive story, is this. We put God first. That was always the call. You Just, just put me first, God says. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 26. It's, it's not the text that we're going to be looking at ultimately, but we're going to because we're going to be looking at Leviticus. Uh, but, but I want you to hear this retelling of the story. Here's what he says. Deuteronomy chapter 26. Um, check it out in your Bibles. Check it out on the screen up here. Deuteronomy 26, chapter, or chapter 26, verse 1. When you have entered the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and have taken possession of it and settled in it, take some of the first fruits, of all that you produce from the soil, the land, the Lord your God is giving you, and put them in a basket. Then go to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling place for His name, and say to the priest in office at the time, I declared today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land the Lord swore to your, our forefathers to give us. The priest shall take the basket from your hands and set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. Then you shall declare before the Lord your God, My father was a wandering Aramean, and he went down into Egypt with a few hundred, or oh, I'm sorry, with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, putting us to hard labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil, and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror and with miraculous signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, O Lord, have given me. Place the basket then, he says, before the Lord your God and bow down before him. And you and the Levites and the aliens among you shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given you and your household. You see that there? This giving of worship and adoration of God, this bringing in the first of the crop, the first of the soil to God, is an act of response to God's redemptive activity in our lives. It's not so much something that he demands from us. He doesn't demand that from us. It's something that we give willingly because of what he's already done. It's, it's really a grace event, this, 
this thing of bringing the first fruit. Well, I want to look at look at look at Leviticus chapter twenty-seven. It's it's the last chapter in in that book of law that tries to define for Israel how they're supposed to live in the context of putting God first in their lives, and or of really genuinely living under His leadership and His guidance. But you come down to verse number thirty. It's chapter twenty-seven where he says this in verse number thirty. He says. Leviticus 27, verse 30. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. If a man redeems any of his tithe, he must add a fifth of the value to it. The entire tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod, will be holy to the Lord. He must not pick out the good from the bad or make, anything, or make any substitution. If he does make a substitution, both the animal and its substitute become holy and cannot be redeemed. These are the commands the Lord God, uh, the Lord gave Moses on Mount Sinai for the Israelites. This issue of first fruit, of giving God first place, becomes something of a genuine challenge, I think, for all of us, uh, for all of uh, uh, all, all Christians. Uh, I think in every area of our life. This text, I think, begins to answer some of those questions. I think it answers the why question first because it's in the context of this redemptive activity of God. We give to God out of gratitude that we have for redemption. We, we've been redeemed, and so we give in part because of just sheer gratitude of everything that God has ever done on our behalf. But I think we also give in order to show our reliance upon Him. You bring the first fruit, you bring the first crop, you bring every tenth animal. You do that because you're demonstrating that God is a reliable God. And so for 40 years, for 40 years they wandered in this, this wilderness. They, they were getting water from the rock. They were getting manna from the ground. They, they learned that God was this God that was so dependable that, that you could trust Him. And, the, and this was just one more of say, way of saying, I am not a self-made person. I rely upon what God supplies. I, I think in part we give because what we want to do is we want to imitate the giving nature of God. God is a giving God. You'd all agree with that, right? And our response by giving first fruit does what it does is it demonstrates that we have His character, we have His nature. We give as an act of worship. That's the Deuteronomy 26 passage. Bring this basket, place it before God, and offer it to Him as an act of worship. Well, it not only answers the why question, though, but, but it answers the how question. Bring the first fruits. It's, it, you saw it right there in Leviticus chapter 27, the, the first part of the crop that you bring. Now, think about this. This is an agricultural society. And, and quite frankly, they lived off the crops that they raised. And, and so there's this interesting thing that's introduced in the text. You can redeem a portion of your offering. Uh, so if, if your offering happens to be a bushel of grain and and, and uh, you need that bushel of grain in order to eat, you can trade that bushel of grain for money 
and give the money instead of the bushel of grain, except that then you've got to add 20% to it. But when it comes to animals, here was the practice. I mean, they would, they would create this chute, and, and they would run, run their herd, their flock, through that chute, and they would they'd have this rod that they would hold out over the top of the flock, and as, it went by, as all the animals went by, and every tenth animal, that they would simply reach down and they would touch it and it would, and it would mark it. Every tenth one belonged to the Lord. It didn't matter whether it was a good one or if it was a bad one. It didn't matter. Um, now, you, you, you can imagine some entrepreneurial uh, young shepherd thinking, well, wait a minute, that's a really good-looking sheep over there. That's not a very good sheep over here, right? I'm just going to switch those. Um, I'll just switch. I'll give the bad one. And he said, no, if you try doing that, both of them belong to me. <laughs> Every tenth one simply was given to God. It was the first of the crop. It was the first of the herd. Everything was given to God and belonged to him. And so not only is the why in this text, the how is in this text. You simply bring it before God. You mark the first 10% as his, and then you give it to him. And in some way, then, that answers how much, the how much question, too, doesn't it, right? Or does it? You heard about the two little boys, didn't you? Uh, they came out of Sunday school class. They were, they were kind of annoyed. At least, I guess at least one of them was kind of annoyed. He, he didn't think that the snack was very good in Sunday school class. And frankly, the only color crayon that he could find was a red one, and he was tired of coloring with red. And he was complaining to his friend as they walked down the hall. His little friend said, Well, you got to admit, it's not too bad for a dime. How <laughs> much? Tithing is literally 10%. That's what the word means, bring a tenth, every tenth animal. But Israel didn't tithe. Some, somewhere we've got it in our, kind of in our head that Israel was a tithing nation. nation. Well, I mean, they were, but they weren't. They didn't stop with one, actually. They actually had two 10% tithes every year. And then they had a third 10% tithe that they gave every third year. And so I guess on average, on an average year, they gave 23 and a third percent of their income or, or of all of their crop or all of their flock or all of their income. They didn't, that didn't include their offerings that they gave above that ob obligatory tithe. And, and I, but I have to hasten to tell you that, that tithing per se really isn't necessarily a New Testament principle. It's not written in the New Testament that every Christian needs to give 10% of their income to the church. You'll never find that. It's not a law to tithe. It's what you see in the Old Testament. It was the principle under which they lived. The, the first part of it belonged to God. That's what we got to cling on to. That's what we got to grab onto, grab a hold of. The first fruit was His. And quite honestly, it really strikes me as an issue of ownership. I think it's interesting that you and I get troubled over things that we own. Anybody ever notice that? 
I never concern myself with much unless I own it. Once I own it, I feel like I'm responsible for it and it's mine. <laughs> so if you bother it, bother somebody else's, not, don't bother mine. In fact, if you've ever had anything stolen from you, and I have, you know that sense of violation. This is mine. You took what's mine. Do you ever hear that? That sense of, do you hear that? That sense of ownership? And yet when I read my Bible, I understand that I don't own anything. God has simply given it to me to use it as a steward, a caretaker during my lifetime. I am richly blessed by it. I know that, but it's not mine. <coughs> I've come to appreciate people who really, some of you may know those, the, the, people who genuinely, down in their soul, they understand that. And so if you take something from them, they don't, overly, they don't get overly upset because, frankly, they didn't take anything that was mine. They belong to the Lord, and so if you want to steal from God, go right ahead. But it's still really frustrating, I think. We can all relate when people take something that belongs to you. If you feel that way about ownership, I wonder sometimes how God feels about it. Here's the, here's the text in, back in Malachi chapter 3. Last Old Testament prophet, just before you get to the New Testament, Malachi says in, in, in verse number 6 of chapter 3, he says, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven, literally rain, he'll send rain for their crops, and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. It is the only place in Scripture that I am aware of where God literally says, try me, test me, see if I will keep my word. St. Augustine says, God is more anxious to bestow his blessings on us than we are to receive them. He wants to bless. He wants to pour out his richness um, on us. That and the way that he has the, the, the privilege of doing that is when, when you and I put him first. That's really the phrase, first fruit. The first of everything belongs to God. But see, here's the challenge, I think. Try him. See if he won't honor that first fruit offering. Just give that a try. Take this text at its, at its word and test him and see. The whole thing here is really about relationship, a relationship that exists between you, uh, between us and God. And, and, and because of his redemptive activity, what we long to do is simply put God first. It's about relationship. It's about whether or not God is genuinely first in your life and mine. Now, this is really 
just one area where we have the opportunity to demonstrate that, that, that we want to give the first of everything to him, to place God in his rightful place on the throne. See, it's because of the redemptive activity of God that we do that. This isn't because God demands something. You know, it isn't because there's a tax that has to be paid. It's not because, well, it's because the one who knew no sin became sin for us. It's because he brought us out of Egypt. It's because he brought us out of the wilderness. It's because he's done everything that he needed to do in order to redeem us, to to purchase us back. And he simply says, what I want is for you to put me first in every area of your life. But this is just one of the places where we have the opportunity to that. But it's just one. I mean, God wants to be first in our marriages. God wants to be first at our workplaces. God wants to be first in, in, in all the things that we do. God wants to be first in our hearts always. This enormously grace-giving God placed you and I first when he sent his son. And now all he asks is that we make him first in every area of our life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together.